I can't believe you asked me about that statue. Do you know how much trouble you could have gotten me into? Well, I Baba was standing right next to me. I never told her where I got the statue. I wonder why. Well, just give it back and I, I won't say anything. Give it back. Yeah. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What's he talking about? I'm talking about the statue. Yeah, me too. Give it back to whom? Me. <laughs> you. Yeah, me. I'm not getting this. You already got it. <laughs> Ray, I had a statue in my house. Hmm. You were in my house, and then I saw it in your house. What are you saying? What am I saying? Take a wild guess. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Seinfeld, the podcast where we discuss everything we know about the show about nothing. I am Dando. I am Guy. Pleasure to be here, Dando. How are you feeling today, my man? I'm feeling very swell. How about yourself? You've just been writing a manuscript. I am feeling very swollen, shall we say. No, swollen. no. I'm, <laughs> well, I had a very nice uh, bacon and egg sani for breakfast. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like that's the regular for you at the moment. Very lucky man. Um, Yeah. I'll, well, sometimes you get onto a... Um, Sometimes you get something in your head and it's like, oh, yeah, this is working for me. I'm going to ride this one out until I am no longer amused by it. So, um, yeah, it's been a, uh, that's been my breakfast regular for a little while. And, um, yeah, today it's just been uh, working on a, um, on a screenplay, actually. That's very, very cool. Yeah. I mean, you, you tell me a, bit, a little bit about it off the air. Do you want to tell it on the, um, on the podcast, like the very short condensed version? Just tell them what it, what it is, not what it's about. Oh, basically a siege thriller set in the Australian outback uh, where you've got uh, a group of asylum seekers who are basically, who have been press ganged into working in like a sweatshop for some incredible malevolent conglomerate kind of thing who make a run for it with some incriminating evidence about the company and uh, seek refuge in an outback pub that is frequented by a variety of roughnecks and uh, interesting characters and all manner of violent uh, shenanigans ensue coming soon to a cinema near you yeah or netflix you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah it seems to be the way to go Uh, we're here this week to discuss the Statue from Season 2, an episode that I, I really enjoyed. It wasn't overly eventful, but I thought it was, for what it was, it was well executed. I agree with you on this point. And um, yeah, one thing I will say, it uh, it warmed me to Kramer a lot more. This was the breakout performance for Kramer. Like the, his part at the end where he was, uh, you know, frisking Ray and all that. Like Ray. I thought mm. it was just so, so funny. Like that, For the first time, he's felt he felt like Kramer. Yeah, and I mean, look, a little Kramer energy goes a long way, and uh, and when it's sort of pointed in the right direction or mm. deployed at just the right volume or just the right amount, yeah, it works a treat. So uh, and it and it certainly did this time around. So yeah, I mean, uh, look, normally I'm a George guy, and uh, and of course my heart belongs to Julie Louis Dreyfus, but uh, yeah, this uh, had some good Kramer stuff in it, and showed me the appeal that this character has to um, Seinfeld's many fans. Well, writer Larry Charles, one of the, the big writers of the Seinfeld, he wrote this episode. It was only the second one he'd written. I think the first one he wrote was the one that got canned with a gun and whatnot. But this is his second one. Uh, and he, he has said since that he wanted to do this to Kramer and have him be a bit more sort of wacky and out there because the characters of George and Jerry were already defined. You know, they were based mm. on Jerry himself and based on Larry Davis. So he couldn't really steer 
too far outside the box. You know, they had their they had the character down, but Kramer yeah. he was still sort of an untapped uh, resource. Your resource there, yeah. So you can sort of do what you want with it, kind of things like a, a clump of play doh, sort of mold it your own way, and he sort of liked this. And I mean, Michael Richards. He's very physical. He's, his facial expressions, his mannerisms, mm. everything about him. He's a very physical comedian. So by having him sort of go outside the box and be the wacko and really sort of emphasize this physical comedy, it really just, for the first time, like I said, it felt like I was watching Kramer that I love. I 100% would agree with you on that point, Dando. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good Kramer episode, but also just a good episode all around, I thought. I mean, there was a, there was a lot that I enjoyed in this, uh, from the interaction between our regulars, our regular quartet, to um, uh, the uh, supporting character. I mean, I know there's not a lot of supporting characters in this. It's mainly Rava and Ray, but uh, I was a big fan of what they brought to the table this time around. They were the regular odd couple, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I've got God knows how these two met and how they stay together. We do get an indication of uh, how they stay together thanks to Rava's confessions outside the uh, elevator. But uh, yeah, I'd love to know how these two actually sparked up a conversation to begin with and what drew them to one another. I thought Michael D. Conway as Ray was just so funny in the role because, but, okay, so in regards to the story, what I loved about this was that you never really actually got a definitive answer of whether he actually stole it or not. It could have actually been a coincidence mm. because he never once said to Kramer, oh, yeah, you got me. It was me. To the very end of the episode, uh, Ray kept saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. He may have very well got it from a pawn shop from an owner who's now in Singapore. We just will never know. <laughs> that is very correct. Look, admittedly, if someone told you that story, it's like, no, I got it from a pawn shop. Oh, but the pawn shop owner's not here anymore. No, you have to sort of go through this long ass process to try and... Uh, determine the truth or determine if my story's got any veracity. That sounds a bit sus, certainly, but at the same time, yeah, he doesn't uh, exactly come across as someone who would pinch something from an apartment that he has cleaned so vigorously and so beautifully, according to Jerry, at least. So uh, there's a lot of grey area in that story. It's, it's, an interesting, uh, it's an interesting way to sort of uh, to wrap things up. I mean, to leave it uncertain in that way. What I liked about what he brought to the role was that as you just said, it's so elaborate and unrealistic and unbelievable. You're sort of thinking, there's no way this is true. But the way he delivers it is like, but you sound like you're telling the truth. But this can't be the truth. But you just sound so legit. I just don't know what to do here. Like Even Jerry falls for it. He's like, I just don't know what to do. And then yeah. George, George is that enough? And he's half and a puff and he, he, he's George. What was great about that moment there was when he stands back up to George and George just quietly sits back down. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it shows another degree of um, George's uh, self-awareness. I mean, I did love that, uh, that, you know, when, as you said, when he's sort of faced with someone, said, you're starting to make me angry. Well, that was bound to happen (laughs) (laughs) like George just knows that he is walking through his life uh, (laughs) and by virtue of his personality and the way that he interacts with people is just going to rub a large percentage of people the wrong way I find that very very funny and very appealing about George as well (laughs) did you see that two well-known actors auditioned for the role of Ray with Hank Azaria from The Simpsons and Tony Shalhoub, um, star of Monk and various other things. Yeah. Galaxy Quest, yeah. And Galaxy Quest, of course, yeah, yeah. But I yeah. mean, uh, I was I was amused that uh, Hank Azaria put his hand up for that role as well and, and, and didn't land it. I mean, I think Hank, with his sort of, um, uh, his facility for accents, and um, I won't say that he's uh, a natural over-actor, but he's someone who can certainly pump up the volume at need be. I think he would have a lot of fun with this role, as would Tony Shalhoub. I mean, they're both... Uh, 
they're both terrific character actors. And, I mean, we've heard a lot more from Hank Azaria and a lot more from Tony Shalhoub since this episode airs. I don't know if Michael D. Conway actually went on to do much. I looked him up and nothing of note. So certainly not a monk or a Simpsons or anything like that. And he certainly okay. didn't star in Godzilla from 1998. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think of the character of Rather? She was very, she was very off the wall. It was sort of just not unsettling, but I just sort of thought she's a very angry person. And we never really find out why. No, no. Apart from the fact that she's, is she Finnish? Did they say? She's from Finland? I want to say you're right, yeah. Yeah, which doesn't strike me as necessarily one of the most dour European countries. I mean, I think the Finnish people, I think they generally have a bit of a jolly disposition to the best of my recollection. I mean, let's, look, let's look up Rava first before we start throwing countries under the bus. Hang on. Yeah, she's from Finland. Okay. You're right. Yes, continue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but she's had, I guess she's had, she's had a pretty harsh childhood, as she points out. So I guess that sort of sets you up for a, a very angry out, outlook on life as you grow older. That's true. But I think there are, even putting that to one side, there are certain people who like to steer into, I don't know, the darker and gloomier aspects of their nature and sort of, you know, present that as their personality. And I think Rava is certainly one of those. I mean, yeah, I think you encounter them at... Uh, you know, either when you're at uni or certainly in your in your later teenage years, at the very least, you know, there are people who sort of uh, listen to the Smiths a lot and sort of go around wearing long coats with just, mm, yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, you've been on the planet for maybe 19 years. <laughs> Get back to me when you're like 43. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that uh, Jane Leaves auditioned for this role. I can't buy her as this. She comes back as Marla the Virgin, of course, went on to be in Frasier. But I don't, I just don't, think she could have played Rava as well. She's too oh. nice. I can't see I can't see her being as bleak. That's thing. Well, I think your of course your impression of Jane Leaves is probably based on the the roles you've True. seen her of subsequently, True. but uh, I'd like to think that she'd uh, she'd have it in her, you know, these uh these actors, man, they can they can act just about anything. They can make you believe just about anything. Well, the good yeah, ones yeah. can anyway. But getting back to Kramer, Yes. What I liked, but not just the final scene, because I thought that was just fantastic, where he's frisking up Ray and whatnot, but what I loved about his character in this was that he wasn't going to let his friend Jerry get screwed over. He was like, no, nah, I reckon we should go get him. And everyone's like, no, nah, don't worry about it, it's okay. He's like, no, 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 he screwed my friend over, we're going to get him. And I was like, you, you tell him, Kramer. <laughs> what they've established so far in the series is that Kramer is actually a really good friend. He's a terrible neighbour, but a good friend. Yes. If, if those things can coexist. That is a good one, still. Yeah. It's one of my favourites. What was your favourite moment from the episode? Uh, look, just about anything to do with Ray, in all honesty. I mean, mm-hmm. I think just uh, any time he appeared, I was very happy with it. You get the feeling, and a good sort of day player on a, on a, on a, on a show or a movie can do this, can uh, convince you that there's a whole life and a whole existence and a whole whole other thing going on outside the frame. You know, any time that they're... Yeah. The minute they're not on screen, of course you're engaged with the rest of the story and the rest of the characters in in this episode of Seinfeld. But uh, you know, anytime Ray was there, it wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like the Poochie thing, or is it the Poochie thing? Was like anytime Poochie's not on screen, you got to be saying, "Where's Poochie?" Is yeah, that yes. Poochie, or am I thinking of something <laughs> else? Correct. Yes, yes. It's not. It's not quite that. But it, I was thinking, I wonder what this guy's life is like. I mean, I wonder what he's actually what he's actually studying and, you know, what he's what he's trying to do and what he'd like to get out of life. I, yeah, I was just very happy with, um, yeah, with everything that he sort of brought to the table in terms of, yeah, just playing this very strange, poncy, larger-than-life person and, 
yeah, what they want to do with their life and how the way they live their life is going to sort of serve them in the future. I just found that really interesting. So I'd say that was um, probably my favourite part. I mean, look, this episode was chock-a-block with good lines and good bits and pieces and all that good stuff, uh, and which we'll talk about as we review the episode. But I think overall, I would say that, yeah, Ray was my favourite part of this episode. Whenever I watched the character of Ray, because there was elements there where he wasn't happy. When he got home from work, he looked tired and run down. But then as soon as he saw there was guests in the house, a big smile on his face, and he was but you know, back to being the Ray that everyone knows. But yeah. when I was watching it, all I could think of was the, the Beatles song Loser. Because there's lyrics in that where it says, although I laugh and I act like a clown, beneath this mask I'm wearing a frown. And I thought that's the yeah. perfect song or lyrics to encapsulate Ray. He, 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 there was moments there where he seems like He's had enough, mm. but he'd rather pretend and put on this fake mask of happiness. I don't know. Mm. I thought there was, there was a lot. There's another layer to the character that we never actually got to see. And it's a shame that he didn't actually return because um, there's definitely some stuff you can explore there. You, you wondered about the relationship between Ray and Rava. I mean, these two are probably more kindred spirits than you might imagine. And, and Ray is sort of putting on that, uh, that very theatrical front uh, for a lot of other people. But uh, when it's just he and Rava alone in the apartment or you know, at a table for two at some bohemian restaurant or something, they're probably just very matched levels of surliness and disdain for the world around them. My favourite moment was just the end. I thought it was just so great, Kramer frisking up Ray. But what was great about it was they set this up in the opening scene when he gets the mm. hat and he says, he's, what's, his, what's his name from Dragnet? Um, Joe. Joe, Fro- Joe Friday. Joe yeah. Friday, yes. So he says, oh, Joe Friday from Dragnet. And then they make a thing of it. He said, like, you know, it's a funny gag, it's a funny visual to him to sort of impersonate in Joe Friday at that point. Mm. But then for it to come around full circle at the end and him actually going there and interrogating him, I thought it was just, it's just so funny. It was just pure Michael Richards at his best, this was. <laughs> it is good. And that, you know, that uh, whole sort of full circle thing. I mean, this was a, this is a, a smartly constructed episode as well. I like the idea of that. For somebody to win something or for someone to get even, someone's going to have something else is going to have to be uneven. Mm. For George to be happy, Elaine is probably going to have to be unhappy. She's going to lose the gig with Rava, this uh, sort of much wanted uh, editorial gig. So there's a little bit of a little bit of dramatic tension in the middle of this comedic situation, and of, and of course it's played for laughs. But it's uh, yeah, it, it's 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 smart storytelling. I, it's something that I really appreciated. And as predictable as the ending was, with Kramer hitting you on the back and dropping the statue, it's still just classic comedy. Oh yeah, you've got a bit of everything in a, in in a good episode of Seinfeld. I mean, you've got good physical comedy. You've of course you've got really great sort of banter and repartee. You know, you've got structure, good structure. Yeah, good. You've got good bones, you've got good structure, and you've also just got, um, and you've got solid central characters surrounded by a universe of interesting supporting characters. Some of whom you'll only ever see once. Some of whom will be recurring. But uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a very well constructed show, Seinfeld. And this is a well constructed episode of Seinfeld. Could you spell that, please? No. Next question. Alrighty, so it is time for trivia. Mr. Davis, would you like me to commence? Uh, you go right ahead, sir. Don't let me stop you. <laughs> My first question is, what's the first thing that Kramer takes out of Jerry's grandfather's box? It is knee socks. Well played, sir. Mm-hmm. What did Ray clean in Jerry's fridge? In Jerry's fridge. Ooh, in the fridge. I know he cleaned like in between the fridge and the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, did he clean the ice tray? He cleaned the little egg cup. 
cups. Egg cups. Damn it. I knew it was something that you put in something. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, yes. I need that here. Uh, what I did like about the stand-up in this was that I did find the stand-up very relatable. If I had to clean it at my house, I couldn't be here whilst I was cleaning my house. Oh, yeah. Because I would feel guilty. I'd be like, yeah, I'm so sorry. I know. I'm a, I'm a pig. I know. <laughs> well, I am a pig. And I mean, I've had various partners in my life saying, and various friends saying, just get a housekeeper in. I can recommend someone good. And I'm like, but they'll see how I live. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't tell anyone how I live. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd have to do a big clean beforehand. Just so, you know, they wouldn't be completely disgusted. Of course, I'd leave a little dirt for them. Some pity dirt. <laughs> of course, yeah. But uh, no, I mean, for the, all the reasons that Jerry said, yeah, I, I don't think I could have a housekeeper or a cleaner come in on the regular. No, not a regular one, of course. not. Nah. One that you're never going to see again, maybe, but not a regular, no. Yeah. Uh, next question is, what song was George singing as a child when he smashed the statue? He was singing MacArthur Park. Correct, which was apparently was originally going to be Summertime Blues, but they changed. Yes, by, by the late, great Eddie Cochran. Uh, my next question. According to Ray, which mythology has pastries as the food of the gods? Oh, no idea. It's Scandinavian. Scandinavian. I did love his passion for pastries, though. Ooh, pastries. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll tell you what, there is honestly nothing better than a good pastry. I have found myself on occasion, shout out to a local Geelong business, Pan de Mateo, in Heighton, I believe. But occasionally, when I am uh, staying with the lovely Louise, I am midway between Heighton and my place. So I will, instead of going left when I um, leave the lovely Louise's house, I will go right, go to this Pan de Mateo place and get myself a chocolate croissant. Mm. Um, AKA pan de chocolat. And um, come home, whack it in the oven for just a little while so it warms up a little bit and the chocolate in the middle is even more melty. Have it with a cup of black coffee. Oh, man. Aye, aye, aye. So, um, yeah. One reason I like Ray, Ray likes pastries. I like pastries. There we go. I think we should just stop this podcast now and go get some chocolate croissants. Who's with me? Oh. <laughs> well, no, because you've um, you've clearly sort of you know jacked yourself up. So you know, <laughs> clearly no no cards for you, man. I uh, got one more question for you, sir. Are you ready okay. for it? I am. Alrighty. How many siblings does Rather have? This I do not know. She says my mother left us all. Insert number of us. I cannot insert the number because I do not know it. It is the number seven. For some reason, I was thinking seven. I was going to say seven if I was going to pull something out of my hat. Um, but um, I, did, I did not say it. I, I took the mulligan on this one. But I'll give you a question. How's this mm-hmm. sound? Hit me. Okay. What were George's parents making in celebration of their new statue? Ah, I've got this in my notes, but I won't look. Roast potatoes, is it? Famous roasted potatoes. Exactly. Oh, I love right. it. I, I love whenever someone's got like their mother's got the famous something. You know, my, <laughs> my mum's got famous roast beef. What's your mum's? Your mum's got that Christmas thing, isn't it? She- yes, but that's that's more infamous. Um, if I was going to say if I was going to say famous, I would say her egg and bacon pastries. Egg and bacon pastries. Ooh, we have to try some of Mrs. Davis's egg and bacon pastries sometime. Oh, absolutely, you do. Yeah, Nicola's Nicola's got a famous risotto. My mum's got famous roast beef. Mrs. Davis has a famous. Uh, pastries. What's what's uh, lovely Louise? What's her famous dish? Um, she is a dab hand with lamb chops. Okay, the way she cooks them, or yeah, yeah, a bit of marinade in there, a bit of lemon and garlic, and uh, I think a dash of rosemary in there. But I don't know. I mean, I 
I've tried doing them myself and it never comes out quite as well. So yeah. uh, Same with Nicholas Risotto. I tried to cook it one night at it in spite because I was like, I, c- I can do this and nah, no good. <laughs> my, my, di- my dish is chicken, used to be bacon, but I don't eat bacon anymore, but chicken bacon, pasta bake with, uh, with cheese Ooh. and onion and mushroom through it. It's delicious. What about yourself? Mm. Uh, mine is a uh, lemon chicken risotto with, uh, with mushrooms and just more parmesan cheese than any person should eat. Oh, man, I'm so hungry now. I just want to go eat food. Let's do this. Let's do this podcast. <laughs> right, so let's wrap it up. <laughs> Good news, everyone. Everyone's favorite podcast from the year 3000 has returned. Yes, it is Tales of Futurama. Each week, we'll be going back and revisiting every episode of the series, discussing the themes, gags, and all the Easter eggs you may not have seen the first time around. It's Tales of Futurama, available now exclusively at patreon.com slash discount. If you're a fan of everything we do here at Talking Seinfeld and want to show some support, you can do so by joining the Talking Seinfeld family on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per month, you can get access to a whole range of exclusive content, including bonus podcasts, access to our exclusive Facebook community, prize draws, Zoom calls with Guy and myself, as well as early access to all the other shows we host here on the Four Finger Discount Network, including this, the one about friends, going down to South Park, Four Finger Discount, the movie guys, oh, and let's not forget our Patreon exclusive series, Tales of Futurama. So go ahead and join the Talking Seinfeld family today at patreon.com slash discount. Originally aired in a, in the US on April 11th, 1991, it was written by Larry Charles and directed by Tom Sharonis, who directed the entirety of season two. Oh, what a work for Tom. So the episode kicks off with some stand-up as usual, and Jerry's got some big news for the audience. He received some mail to let him know that he has won some valuable prizes. I don't think this happens anymore. I don't think. Does it happen in Australia? Did it ever happen in Australia? I, I mean, you hear all about it... Um on American sitcoms and things like that. It's like, oh, I got the Ed McMahon thing. You know, you may already be a winner. I'm like, did we ever have that in Australia? I can't recall ever getting like junk mail like that. I've received, I remember receiving, we don't need more because we've got no junk mail sign on the letterbox. So I kind of miss <laughs> junk mail, but we used to get sometimes like the scratchy and every scratchy was never a winner. Even though it said you were going to be a winner, but it was just like, call us now and you'll get 10% off. You know, so we can get all your details as opposed to the $500 that it says you're guaranteed to win. That's true. Well, look, and it's not something you really grow out of because you asked me what I did today. One other thing I did was some, some TAC survey. They'd send it to me in the mail and said, hey, you could win $1,000. I'm like, well, I could use $1,000. Um, <laughs> and But I received this a while ago and I'd, I'd got like two phone calls from the people at TSA, you going to do that survey? I'm like, the first time I'm like, I can't talk right now. The second time I recognised the number and didn't pick up. But I thought, <laughs> you ghosted them. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did. But I thought, oh, these guys are going to keep bothering me. I don't know how long this is going to take, but let's just get it done. And I did. So uh, next time you see me, I might be $1,000 richer. Buy a lot of pastries for $1,000. Oh, so many pastries. All right. We're now in Jerry's apartment. Jerry and Kramer, all that. George is sitting there doing nothing and they're walking in with this big box from the basement. George has a sore neck. Usually when they point out something like that, it plays into the episode, but that sore neck doesn't play mm. into it. It's just, oh yeah, I've got a sore neck. It's just an excuse not to have to do yeah. anything. True. And sometimes it's just a character bit. I mean, yeah, George is just like, eh, another thing wrong. Kramer wants to go through the box, takes out the knee socks and whatnot. 
Then Jerry's saying he's going to have a cleaner. George says, what are you doing that for? I've got a friend that can do it. And Jerry's like, no, I've promised Elaine. This sets up the Elaine story. So Elaine's got a fellow writer whose boyfriend is a cleaner and she really wants the gig uh, editing her book. So she's, he's got the boyfriend in to do it. What's he say here? Students can't clean. It's anathema. Anathema, yeah. It runs counter to their beliefs. Yes. And Jerry's just like, how long have you wanted to squeeze that in? <laughs> well, let's think. I mean, have you ever had a word that you wanted to just drop into a conversation? You know, you've heard it somewhere and you thought... Hmm, that's going to make me sound a lot smarter. Or it's just a word that rolls off the tongue really nicely. I'm, try- I'm trying to think of any off the top of my head that I've sort of um, dropped into everyday conversation. I've heard it and thought, oh, man. S- sitting on a word to use in a conversation so that I come across smarter, I don't think I've ever done it because if I ever did that, <laughs> whoever I'm speaking to would go, yeah, I know that's not a word in your usual vocabulary. <laughs> got, yeah. <laughs> got that, uh, got one of those uh, word a day calendars, have you yes. there, Dando? <laughs> Kramer then finds the statue. And this is where the main story begins. George cannot believe it. It's the same one that his parents had when he was a kid. I actually, honest to God, experienced this exact same thing. And Ooh, tell me more. I haven't spoken to my mother about it since. But when I was watching this, I was, it just had flashbacks of my mum used to have these two porcelain statues but they were figures right it was a, a woman who had like old-fashioned an old-fashioned dress on and an umbrella behind her and a man with a cane right and they used to always mm-hmm. sit front and center and on top of the mantle in our old house and i remember one time at home i was bouncing a bouncy ball and the ball bounced off the roof and knocked the guy down and his head smashed Ooh. and i will never forget the look of sheer just my mum wasn't angry, but she was just so sad. Mm. And I will never forget the feeling of making my mum feel so sad and the feeling of guilt that I don't think, I don't know whether she's ever, not, not gotten over it, but ever forgiven me because we've never spoken about it since. But I remember she, she loved these statues. And they were like her great nans or something. That was like the only thing she had from oh. a great nan. And I fucking broke them with a bouncy ball. And I, felt, I watched this episode and went... I should probably ask mum if she ever forgave me for that. And if not, I should probably apologise. I don't think I ever apologised. I remember just I remember just like leaving. I was like so scared. I didn't know what to do. And then mum walked in and she was just so... Maybe mum doesn't know that I did it. Wait a minute. Here we go. Maybe my mum doesn't know because I never actually admitted to it. Maybe my mum has never spoken to me about it because she doesn't know I broke her beloved statues. Oh, plot okay. thickens. Yeah. I don't know. But, but break, did your parents ever have a statue? I mean, you defaced the... the the plane pitch, didn't I, you, or the map? I did, I did. Yes, that's what I was thinking of when you were talking about it just then. Not really, but I think one thing that happens is you sort of get older and your parents get older as well, and not to sort of get too sort of gloomy or maudlin about stuff. Or maybe this is just me being completely self-loathing or whatever. Occasionally you'll sort of think, man, I was I was a bit selfish or I was a bit ungrateful or whatever, you know, when I was young and stupid or whatever. I should go and apologise to mum for that. Or, and I think I maybe did once. She said, what are you talking about? Don't be an idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think I might actually, because my mum's got Elliot at the moment, she's going to drop him off tonight. I might ask her, hey, remember those statues that broke? Should I come clean or, should, or has it been too long? Do you think I should just leave it now? Oh, well, that's the thing. She may have like successfully repressed that memory for goodness knows how long. <laughs> and, you'll, and you'll just dredge that shit up and she'll be like, yeah. Brendan! (laughs) I'll get the full name. Brendan James Dando. (laughs) But yeah, George tells the story of how he broke the statue. Oh my God, it's exactly the same. What? When I was 10 years old, my parents had this very same statue on the mantle of our apartment. Exactly. And 
One day, I, I grabbed it. I was using it as a microphone. I was singing MacArthur Park, and uh, I got to the part about I'll never have the recipe again, and it slipped out of my hand, and it broke. My parents looked at me like I smashed the Ten Commandments. <laughs> to this day, they bring it up. It was the single most damaging experience of my life, aside from seeing my father naked. <laughs> It's uh, the single most devastating experience of his life. <laughs> like, I completely relate to I can understand. Particularly because we haven't met George's parents yet, but you can just imagine like his parents mm. the way they are. Oof, wouldn't want to be a part of that. Kramer and George then get into a fight over the uh, over the statue. Jerry stops it. You <laughs> numbskulls. That's like Jerry's role on the show now, just stopping fights between people. <laughs> Indeed. A very, a very Three Stooges-esque, you numbskulls kind yeah, of, a great kind word, of shout it? out. Mm. <laughs> yeah, numbskulls. It's not overly offensive, but it's enough to say it's more offensive than you idiots, but it's not one where you would go, oh, what are you calling me that for? Like, numbskulls mm. is almost like the funny version of idiot. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's a good word. It's, um, you're putting someone in their place, but not in a, uh, not too harshly. Then they suggest Inkadink, which I have never heard of before in my life. Have you? Is this a no, thing? No, no. Well, well, first of all, there's Potato Man. Potato Man, yes. <laughs> Yeah, which um, which I had to look up, and apparently there's some um, like kids video game called Potato Man. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not it. So let's we're I'm gonna have to take Google to the next level here, and then found out um, I did actually found like a 15 second video of like these English women and like middle aged English women doing Potato Man, which was basically one potato, two potato, three potato, four, five, uh, five potato, six potato, seven potato, more. O-U-T spells out, you know, and I'm doing the sort of the eeny, meeny, miny, mo thing as I, as yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. You can't say it. But I mean, I'd never heard, of, well, once I heard one potato, two potato, I'm like, oh, I've heard one potato, two potato, but I didn't know that was a game or like- I, a, I just thought like it was a, a say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know it was like, um, well, our version of Inkadink is eeny, meeny, miny, mo. yeah? I, yeah, it is, yeah. And you just, yeah, so, you, 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 if you're the person hosting the game, you can basically choose who you want to win because it's all- it's always rigged. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's oh, 100% rigged. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, but um, when I first heard Potato Man, I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't know what that is either. I mean, I thought it was like rock, paper, scissors or that thing. And we've talked about this, I'm sure, in the past. Um, that thing where it's odds or evens, you know, you sort of um, you shake your fist three times and then you throw out a, um, a certain percentage of a certain number of fingers or whatever. And I never know who I never knew how someone could win that. I mean, rock, paper, scissors, I get. But we got Inkadink or Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah. And and you're right. It is a, it's a game that is very, very easy to rig. What was great here was that Kramer just gives the classic child response. All right, do over. Start it with him. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, he doesn't uh, cut on to the fact that Jerry has rigged it. And he throws the statue to George. George has a panic. It's like in that moment there where I just sort of watched this going because I couldn't remember how it ended. But I'm just going, that statue ain't going to survive this episode. <laughs> not, the, <laughs> no, not with this four, not a chance in the world. No. Then he takes the hat and he says he looks like Joe Friday from Dragnet, setting up the the eventual payoff at the end, which I thought was just a really hmm. great setup. And he it, does look good in that hat. He by does, the way. doesn't he? I just love that the, the face. He's, he's very confident. He's a very confident hmm. man, our Kramer. Just, well, that's great. the thing. I mean, if you find the right hat. It can do wonders for your head and wonders for your profile and wonders for your look in general. I have myriad hats here to cover my bald head. Do you really? Yeah, okay. I remember all I could think of watching this moment was, look at me, Rex Banner. I've got a new hat. (laughs) (laughs) 
so George then leaves. They're going, and um, George leaves the statue behind um, whilst the cleaner's going to be there. And Jerry admits that he rigged it. We're then mm. uh, with Elaine and Rava, and she's basically saying that she made the, the demand that if Elaine's not her editor, then she's going to leave and go to another publisher. But what I've just got here, fuck, Rava is just so bleak. When she's, <laughs> I think Jerry says, is your boyfriend here or whatever? He's not here yet. He's, he's late or whatever. Maybe he's dead. I'm like, whoa, straight to the death. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I love Jerry's, so what do you write, children's books? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good snark from Jerry in this episode, I think. Definitely. There's a lot of, yeah, yeah. Ray then enters and he's just, I don't know. Do you think you could be around, if this was a real person, do you think you could be around Ray full time? I don't think I could. I think he's too well, well, happy. Based on the first note that I wrote when he showed up, which is, Jesus, this guy. Um, <laughs> I believe the, the kids these days have a phrase, and it's probably already out of vogue, um, extra. This person is very extra. Ray is very extra. <laughs> so um, I don't think I could spend more than maybe 15 minutes in this person's company. Say, yeah. you know, you met, at a, you met at a party or something, and uh, it's like, Guy, meet Ray. Ray does such. A, oh, yeah, good to meet you, Ray. Yeah, tell me a bit about yourself. Oh, it's like, oh, okay. I'm gonna take this for as long as I can. My friend has just walked in, and I, I promise, I'd say, Ray, very nice to meet you. Um, it's a small party. I'm sure our paths will cross again. These are actual lines that I have probably said at That's a party. What you said to, to me at the last party we were talking at. <laughs> that is one of my trademark lines. Is like. It's either this is a small party, I'm sure our paths will cross again, or if it's someone from Geelong, it's like, Geelong's a small town, I'm pretty sure we're going to meet again. And then, you, <laughs> you know, you, you, you take every step possible to ensure you never meet again. <laughs> <laughs> the great part about this was he's just so over the top saying how much of a good job he's going to do. Jerry's, yeah, uh, toilet brushes under the sink. <laughs> and just leaves. <laughs> We've got some more stand-up here, and we discussed this earlier, the guilt of having a cleaner. I don't really feel that comfortable with the maid either because there's that guilt when you have someone clean in your house. You know, you're sitting there on the sofa, they go by with the vacuum cleaner. I'm really sorry about this. I don't know why I left that stuff over there. And that's why I could never uh, be a maid because I would have that attitude. I'd find them wherever they are in the house. So I suppose you couldn't do this. No, don't get up. Let me clean up your filth. No, you couldn't dust. Oh, oh, this is too tough, isn't it? So we're back in Joe's apartment now, and he just simply cannot believe how well Ray cleaned the apartment. He must be like Rubber Man. There's no Rubber Man. Huh. Why did I think there was a Rubber Man? <laughs> well, there is, there's certainly Plastic Man. There is certainly Mr. Fantastic from the Fantastic Four. And I believe they mention Elastic Man as well. I'm not sure if the Elastic Man is an actual superhero or comic book character. Mm, might be something to look up just quickly. I'll look it up on the Google. Elastic Man. Let's have a look. Yeah. Elastic, Elastic Man. Man is a funny game where you get to pinch and drag a man's face. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of my relationships. <laughs> it's uh. not a, it is not a superhero by any means. But um, yeah, it's just sometimes that happens though where it just sounds like it should be right. Rubber Man. If someone said to me yesterday, oh, you know Rubber Man, I'd go, I know of him, but I don't know much about him. But he doesn't exist. <laughs> 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 just seems like it would be a... Uh, being rubbery just seems like it would be a, a usual yeah. ability to well, have of, as a superhero. And of course, and of course, there's Stretch Armstrong. Exactly, yeah. So they then go to Rava's, and then Jerry's is very excited that he even uh, Windexed the, the peephole. That was a nice little capper on that scene. I thought that was a, that was a nice way to sort of 
get out of that. It was a nice little button on it. I, I, yep. I appreciate that a whole lot for some reason. So they're in Ravas, and she tells Elaine that she will be the editor, and Elaine's over the moon. And uh, Ray then enters, and he's when he first walks in, he looks run down and tired, like I said, but then he mm. sees guests, immediately puts on the happy face. The cleaning was a, a celebration of life. <laughs> it's just, I don't, I don't understand. Did Jerry go with Elaine so he could thank Ray? Is that why he went? Because why else would he go to Ravas? That's a really good question, actually. I mean, uh, look, I'm, I imagine he would be sort of satisfied enough with the work to maybe thank Ray in person. Maybe he had to be somewhere out and about, so he's just sort of tagging along with Elaine in the meantime. They needed Jerry in the room so he could notice the statue. That's the end. That's the thing. But yes, <laughs> that is the most obvious reason, and I know we're trying to find ways around that, but yeah, they needed him in the room. And he's 99% sure that that's the statue. It was really fun acting here, Jerry and Elaine, every time they'd leave the room. I think that's a statue. He's got my statue. And then when someone walks in, oh, no, yeah, we're fine, we're fine. He's got my statue. I'm 99% sure that's my statue. It's just really, really good stuff. Uh, Ray then enters, sweet Alexa. It's fragrant nectar, a soothing blend. Was it a soothing what for the soul? A soothing... Bar, Mr. Torn. Yeah, it's Alexa? a bar for the soul or something like that. It's just Everything is just so over the top with this guy. It's so over the top that it comes across as like fake. It's like, you're not happy. You're just pretending. Oh, yeah. I mean, referring to Jerry, Jerry as the once and future king of comedy, I mean, it's like, can I really trust someone who's this sort of effluent and verbose and all that kind of stuff? I mean, what are you hiding and what are you really thinking? No, nobody's this nice. <laughs> <laughs> I experience this sometimes, you know, you, you look around your sort of your social media quote-unquote friends or whatever and you know there are some people that you maybe have connected with just friend of a friend or something or that oh you know this person has been recommended to you you know like back in the early days of Facebook or whatever and you sort of they're not so bad that you just want to get rid of them but at the same time like hmm why are you around I mean there are certain people who are just so positive about life and they're always putting up little sort of motivational sayings and all that kind of stuff or you know, like, hey, here's my resolutions for 2021. Oh, I'm grabbing it by the throat, guys. Look out, I'm coming in hot. It's like, do you have any dark nights of the soul at all? You know, are you, are you, are you ever sad? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure they must be, but they, you know, they're wise enough to sort of keep it off, uh, off the, uh, the public uh, face of social media. But still. I have hidden so many people on Facebook because I'm too nice to unfriend them, but I don't want to see their shit. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you've got that thing where it's like, hey, you can mute this person for 30 days. I'm like, yeah, I think I probably will mute them for 30 days. And then the 30 days is up and they come up again. And oh, you, almost could, you, it- could, you could just go hide all now. You have to mute them. Yeah, I, I know. And I probably should do that. But I'm like, yeah, you've had 30 days in the time, in the in the sin bin. You must have learned something. <laughs> come back. No, they're exactly the same. And of course they are because they don't know they were in the sin bin. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I really should just unfriend or defollow or whatever. But uh, And I think there are certain people, there, there have been one or two sort of really egregious cases where I'm like, yeah, I'm too, I'm too nice a person to unfriend you because that would hurt your feelings, but I'm definitely putting you on mute because I can't stand your shit. <laughs> I remember one time I put something on Facebook, it was, it was like a photo of like a f- friends of mine, and... We went out for dinner like a week later and I, I was showing the fo- uh, someone put up the photo and the, one of the guys, I won't say his name, but he goes, what does that photo take? What was that, what was that put up? And I said, I put it up last week. And he goes, oh, did you? What, what you didn't see it? And he goes, uh, nah. And it's because he had hidden me. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, felt, I felt so fucking heartbroken. I was like, 
You hit me, man? Why did you hit me? He goes, uh, you post too much, so I hit you. <laughs> yeah. I learned from that experience, and I only ever post like once a month now. It's like a photo of the kids. That's about it. I, I don't post. I just have the motto now where people don't give a shit what I think. So why, why would I post it on Facebook? Mm. I get where you're coming from. And yeah, look, there are certainly times when I get the feelings like, am I bombarding people with too many pictures of foxes or links to movie trailers or articles from The Guardian that I think are kind of cool? It's like, eh. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm well, not. I, I don't know because I've hidden you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Rava's going to get the manuscript. She sends in Ray to go get the pastries. Meanwhile, Jerry and Elaine are discussing how they're going to sort of sort this situation. So Jerry says he's going to call Kramer to check to see whether the statue's actually gone from his apartment. On the phone, Jerry. Jerry Seinfeld. Yes, Jerry Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) Rava then enters and he pretends to be on the phone to his mum. I'm just like, how would that fly? If if someone came to my house, I walked in, they were on my phone and they acted like their mum had called the house. Be like, what? Like that, yeah. that, 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 that makes no sense to me how, why Rava would believe that he was talking to his mum. Because <laughs> this is 1991. So it's not like she messaged him saying, hey, can you call me or whatever. Me, yeah. It's just, he just somehow was apparently talking to his mum on the phone, which she didn't think was odd. But anyway, moving on swiftly. Rava says, you know, this is where she discusses her mum, how she got abandoned when she was six. And Jerry says, my mum's in Florida. Then Ray enters with the pastries, food of the gods. And I don't really understand the whole... I know Jerry just wants to leave because Jerry says, I'm going to go. He says, you want to stay for dinner? No, dinner's for suckers. I was like, is is that just a way to get out of the apartment? Or I think it's just a way to get out. And Honestly, I don't get the meaning of the line either, uh, but I just thought it was very, very funny. It was, it was the way he delivered it was funny, but I'm just like, we've seen you have dinner numerous times, sir. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh, oh look! Of course he, be- he of course he believes in dinner, and I don't believe I don't think he thinks dinner is for suckers at all. But um, I suppose it's just a really not a dumb way to get out of something. But who's going to call you on why? You know, why do you think dinner's for suckers? I mean, you make a bold statement like that, and people are just going to go. Oh, well, they, cl- they clearly don't want dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it's a pretty good it's a pretty good exit strategy, actually. Just go balls to the wall. Just yeah, just intimidate intimidate them from the start. <laughs> what do you eat dinner? What are you, you guys having dinner for? Su- that's for suckers. And then you just bail. It's like, mm, okay, then. <laughs> yeah. And you know the da- the downside is you're probably not going to get invited around for dinner anymore. But at the same time, you did make a clean getaway. So. <laughs> The cops then tell Jerry that they can't do anything about it. It's his word against Ray's. I'm sure there's something he could do about it, right? If there were witnesses. But I mean, it's not going to take him to court. It's a fucking old statue. It's not Mm. worth anything. But Kramer wants to, you know, Kramer keeps saying, let's get him. No, no, no. George is just, this is what's perfect about George. George is just pissed off because now he's pissed off at how it's going to affect him. Now he's going to have to face his mother, who's cooking her, you know, famous roast potatoes. potatoes. <laughs> now he's just now he's going to disappoint her once again, and Elena's worried that she, uh, Jerry's going to confront him and she'll lose the editor gig. So it's all very simple, but they all intertwine in a very yeah. realistic way, don't they? Oh no, every, everyone's got uh, everyone's got motivation, you know, and some of it's uh, more pure than others, so to speak. But uh, no, everyone's. Uh, yeah, oper- operating from a, uh, from a position of motivation. It's it's like I said, it's good storytelling. It's simple storytelling, but it's good storytelling. Jerry calls Ray to ask me about it, but Ray, we don't hear Ray, but he's basically Jerry's doing the talking for us, saying he wants to discuss it alone at Monks. He doesn't want Rava to find out. And Lane says, "Can't you just forget about it?" No, not gonna happen. 
So now Jerry and George are sitting in separate booths at Monk's and we so basically this is where Jerry confronts Ray about it. And Ray, to his credit, never breaks, does he? No, no. I mean, he's, uh, he's either a master criminal or he's completely innocent. Yes, and we'll, that's the thing. We will never know, which is what the beauty of this episode is. They never give us a definitive mm. answer. We get to make it up for ourselves. Yeah. The question is, though, what the fuck happened to that statue in Jerry's apartment if it wasn't Ray? <laughs> mm. Ray is, um, yeah, like I said, he's just so believable, despite it being so obvious that he must have taken a statue. And my favorite part about that whole moment was when he's like, I suppose I could contact the guy in Singapore and George just like getting out of his chair. That's it. I've had enough. <laughs> but, but even like when he, what does he call Jerry at one point? Like a wuss or something? Yeah. And Jerry, you call me a wuss? That's <laughs> re- really great. Yeah. I, d- I did love sort of the, just the mounting exasperation by George in the next booth and just, I mean, have you ever had that? When you've been in a restaurant or some public place and you've heard, it doesn't even necessarily have to be people that you know, but you know, there'll be like some loud conversation going on at another table and you've just, you're privy to it and it just frustrates the hell out of you. And you sort of find yourself so, you find yourself so involved that you start taking one person's position or something. <laughs> I can't recall it happening to me in recent memory, but I'm pretty sure that there have been times when I've heard like a conversation going on at another table and thought, Jesus Christ, these fucking people. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, or, or like some guy's telling another lady bullshit that's like, honey, don't buy that. He is yeah, lying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so also, again, this, this scene ends very similar to when Elaine and Joe were in the apartment when he asked him how he got the goop out of the, the nozzle. Yeah, a lot of good George stuff in there as well. I mean, I just love him sort of arcing up and saying, I'm the judge and the jury, pal. I think that's, a, <laughs> yeah. that's a great bit. And the whole thing about how uh, Ray Thomas is not, oh, it's his, two, it's his two first names, not his full name. His surname is like, I want to say Wojcinski, but he's a guy who works at pop culture. Um, he's an extra long football player. <laughs> Ray Thomas something. And... Yeah, Ray, Ray Thomas is my professional. Hey, I mean, your alias. <laughs> he thinks he's got him in the bag, which is why it's so good, because he was so confident because he thought he had him. Once he realized it was all unraveling, you're like, oh, no, stand down, yeah. stand down. The, the, yeah, the minute that uh, Ray shows any degree of resistance or consternation or something, it's oh, that, was, that was bound to happen. And <laughs> that's fantastic. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good scene. And, yeah, that, that close out with the whole... Um, with the cleaning thing as well. Yeah, that's, uh, everything ties together nicely. Elaine and Rava are then at her work. They're going into the elevator and they're discussing the whole situation with Ray and Jerry. Obviously, Rava taking Ray's side and Elaine taking Jerry's side. The, the whole... So, you, do you want to discuss the lovemaking? <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I, I can't really think of Jerry Seinfeld as a sexual person. Not at all, no. Despite the fact that he's sort of... Um, Yes, hooked up with a variety of uh, of gorgeous partners over the uh, over the course of the uh, of the ser- of the Seinfeld series. Yeah, I just <laughs> can't really. Yeah, I can I can see Elaine's point <laughs> that he's. Yeah, I don't think he'd be insatiable. I think he'd be kind of like, eh, like, eh if you want to, yeah. <laughs> you know, Ray is very upset over these accusations. Oh, well, I'm staying out of this one. This is between them. I am not getting involved. So you think he stole it? I admit nothing. Will you put that cigarette out, please? Well, I mean, he was in the apartment, and then it's gone, and it's in your apartment. 
that. Maybe you think we're in cahoots. No, no, but it's quite a coincidence. Yes, that's all a coincidence. Big coincidence. Not a big coincidence. A coincidence. No, that's a big coincidence. That's what the coincidence is. There are no small coincidences and big coincidences. No, there are degrees of coincidences. No, there are only coincidences. Ask anyone. Other big coincidences and small coincidences are just coincidences. Well, well. Will you put that cigarette out? Maybe I put it out on your face. It's just like Ray said, you and Jenny. You're jealous of our love. You're trying to destroy us. Shouldn't you be out on a ledge somewhere? What I've got here is that Rava is actually a legit psycho. <laughs> yeah, well, and the other thing is, I, I do believe that there are degrees of coincidence. I think there are some coincidences that are like, Holy moly, for real? And some that are just like, oh, okay, that happened. You know, but uh, yeah, for Rada to say, no, there is just coincidence. I'm like, no, I think you have to take into account the sliding scale. I think, I think you have to take into account the fact that your partner was in the apartment. Then when he left the apartment, there was no longer a statue in the apartment. So, so can, can you explain yeah. that coincidence, please? But yeah, Yes, was- er- ergo, yes, that uh, your, um, yes, Ray pinched the statue. I did like Elaine Steele on the, the line from Jerry. Shouldn't you be out on a ledge somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> and we cut to Elaine simply putting the manuscript in the bin. So the dream of being the editor of that book is now gone. George is now on the phone to his mother. She's blaming him. He's down. He's depressed. Kramer is just not happy at all. Elaine suggests that we sh- she's gone to the extreme. Let's just throw some of cocktails in his house. <laughs> um, George feels, you know, because of this experience, he's now more cynical more bitter, more jaded. Like, how is that even possible, sir? Elaine's boss, so we're discussing Elaine's boss not liking Jerry. He doesn't think you're funny either. <laughs> just, 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 oh. As a result of having Ray in their life and this statue, or this statue entering their life, they're now all in a worse position. They're all far angrier and they're not happy at all. Possession of stolen goods and, and murder! Murder! Show Keep them spread. You just make love to that wall, pervert. <laughs> I think you have me confused with somebody else. Is your name Ray? Yeah. Yeah, you're the book I'm looking for! <laughs> hey. Hey, are you a cop? Yeah, I'm a cop. I'm a good cop. I'm a damn good cop! <laughs> Today's your lucky day, Junior, because I'm going to let you off with just a warning. <laughs> Any more of this criminal activity and you'll be sorry. You got me? Got you. I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. Good, good. Let's uh, keep it that way. It's just so fantastic, isn't it? This is just like the first time we get to see Kramer. Everything just everything about it is so great. Even like the way at the end, he's sort of acknowledging like, let's not mention this ever again because I'm, he knows <laughs> what he's doing is highly illegal. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but the whole completely off-the-chain thing about from everything from, like, make love to that wall, pervert. Yes, so good. <laughs> or even just throwing murder on the list of charges on the end there. It ain't murder! <laughs> <laughs> you can just tell that Michael Richards would have got this and just gone, oh, yes, fuck, finally. You know, yeah. something to sink my teeth into. And I've read that he said that let's do more of this. This is who Kramer should be. And, yeah, mm. definitely. It gets far more wackier as the, as the episodes go on, but this was definitely the start. Mm. He then walks in and gives George a statue and George can't believe it. He, he's, he doesn't know this feeling. He's happy. And Kramer says, don't worry about it, mate. Pats him on the back, 
Statue smashes. Smashes. Yeah, just the typical ending, but it's um, mm. it's 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 how the episode should have ended. Oh yeah, absolutely. No one deserved this statue after the way everyone behaved. So uh, no. no, it's a uh, moral uh, moral balance is restored. Shall we 100%. say? Hundred percent. It's now we end with some stand up about how people. This is actually. I remember Nicola was watching this a few weeks back. She was in tears of laughter because it's so true. People will steal from you, but we have we all have our little uh, little you know, foils ways of trying to foil the the, the the criminals, like putting your wallet up the end of your sneaker when you're at the beach. <laughs> we all do that. <laughs> like a criminal's not going to think to do that if they want to steal your wallet. It's just um, it's so true. Do you think someone, if you just left your wallet on the beach next to your shoes, do you think that would prompt someone to like, hmm, oh, it's right there. I might as well get it. I mean. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I'm with Jerry on this. I don't think putting it in the shoes or anything like that is going to. Although maybe it does form a little more of a psychological barrier. It's like um, I'm going to have to cross a boundary to do this. I'm going to have to sort of invade someone's space to do it. You know, as opposed to just picking something up off the ground. Eh, maybe. Well, it's like finding a car unlocked and the car you have to break into. If they want to break into it, they're going to break into it. But if a car's unlocked, there is far yeah. more chance of it getting of shit being stolen. So it's like if the wallet's just there, they can just walk past, like you said, and no one will know. No one will ever notice. But if I'm at the beach and I see somebody walking up to a pair of shoes, going through the shoes and then walking away the opposite direction, I'm like, that's not that person's pair of shoes. They took something yeah. out of that pair of shoes. And the criminal oh, will be yeah. thinking, okay, I'm probably going to get caught if I do this. <laughs> but anyway, it was um the, the statue was a... Another really well-structured, well-thought-out story. Very simple, nothing too elaborate. We do get the first sort of glimmer, uh, glimpse into Kramer becoming Kramer. George is typical George. Um, everyone had their purpose in the story as they tend to do in the Seinfeld episodes. Just, yeah, a very, very solid episode once again. I agree with you 110%, Dando. Yep, this was a, a fine a fine Seinfeld. A, a fine seld, you might say. <laughs> as long as I stop getting mail... Now, before we leave today, we've got a few questions sent in. Uh, if you want to send any question, talkingseinfeld at gmail.com. This one here comes from Rowan J. Ardvark. He says, have you ever had a personal cleaner? Well, we've always sort of already discussed this. I mm. haven't. Um, I'm very lucky that... I mean, I try to be as clean as possible. I'm very lucky that um, Nicola's not working at the moment, so she has some extra spare time. And Nicola's one of those people where if she's at home... She can't sit down. She has to be doing something. And I'm kind of she the same. You know, she's always oh. vac- I always say to her, don't vacuum. I'll do it when I get home. But no, she just can't help herself. So I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard. But I couldn't have a regular cleaner. No way. All right. All right. Well, Senor, uh, Senor Advark, I have not had a personal cleaner, nor have I personally cleaned. No, that's that's untrue. I have actually cleaned. But uh, no, I have not actually paid someone to, uh, to clean my house. Although, look, it's, it's not off the table. I may, I may do it one of these days. Grace Scott. Go on then, Mr. Davis, say it. Grace Scott says, have you inherited anything cool from your grandparents? Guy, they're looking at you. To the best of my recollection, no. And this is not to say that my grandparents didn't have uh, their degree of cool shit, but um, I don't think I actually inherited anything from any of my grandparents. Um, I know that my nana had a bunch of violins. She was apparently a really good violinist. And I wouldn't have minded one of those just as not not to learn how to play violin or anything, but just to have as a bit of a keepsake. I think that would have been quite nice. But no inheritance at this end. I'm sorry, Dando. Anything nice from uh, from your uh, from your gramps and I never, grands? In, I never inherited anything. It was just a case of what do you want? You know, you just go to the house and just sort of take what you want. After my nan passed away, 
I remember I took, she had like these couple of Gary Ablett footy gold cards that I always wanted when I was a kid. I always like, wish I had them. I could never get them and she had them. And then when she passed, I sort of went, yeah, Nam would want me to have these. <laughs> so I took these Gary, Ablett, <laughs> these Gary Ablett footy gold cards in like the, the cases and stuff like that. So that's my little keepsake from Nan. Just something small. that I, can, I keep them in the drawer here next to me. Sometimes even when we're doing the podcast, I just pull them out and look at them. Just makes me happy. <laughs> nice. Final question here from Mark Sam. That was basically what we've discussed again. Is it possible that Ray was in fact telling the truth and it's all just a big coincidence? I think it's highly unlikely, but the way this episode is written, it could very well be just a big coincidence. Yes, if we were in a court of law, I think there is a little room for reasonable doubt here, although the evidence is kind of overwhelming against Ray. But there is that skerrick of doubt that, uh, that would probably keep him off death row. He wouldn't get charged, or he get charged, but he wouldn't be found guilty because there's actually no proof that he stole the statue, despite the fact that he has a statue in his house. <laughs> Apart from that, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Hope you enjoyed our review of the statue. It was a good time had by all. Next episode, we're going to be reviewing The Revenge, which I'm really looking forward to as well. Hope you enjoyed Talking Seinfeld. Don't forget to rate and review us in the iTunes store. And if you have any questions for the mailbag, particularly for The Revenge or just Seinfeld in general, you can send them to talkingseinfeld at gmail.com. Also, if you want this show early, go to patreon.com slash fourfingerdiscan. I'll just chuck the link to that in the description of this podcast or you can just type it in patreon.com slash fourfingerdiscount you can already be listening to The Revenge right now if you were a fourfingerdiscount patron so uh, patreon.com slash fourfingerdiscount but for now Mr. Davis any final words for our incredible listeners just remember kids dinner's for suckers